Our scripture this morning is found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on heaven, excuse me, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Wonderful, wonderful. Aren't you glad for a resurrected king who not only resurrected, but is resurrecting you and me today? Oh, I so need it, don't you? I just need daily resurrecting. I need daily being resurrected from my old life. And we're going to talk about that uh, today. I think all of us long for these uh, stories of uh, bosses, of CEOs who who get it right, who do it differently. Uh, maybe you've uh, watched the show Undercover Boss where a CEO kind of goes in, uh, and, and puts on you know, different clothes and hair. And, and uh, a lot of it I know is staged, but, uh, uh, but goes and works in his or her company and, and goes through uh, this process and then reveals him or herself at the end. Uh, that is... Um, uh, we, we look at that and we're just thrilled because here's a guy or a gal who's at the top and, and they do some things that really, we, in our thinking, we think, well, that's so beneath them and, and it's so neat that they would do something like that. Uh, Steve Klubeck is one who's been on the show two times. Uh, he's so uh, uh, popular. He's CEO of Diamond Resorts, which is a timeshare company. Uh, he's so popular among his employees because he has given away $2 million uh, himself, a million coming from his own money, another million from the company's money. He has 5,600 employees, and uh, he has helped with cancer treatment. He has helped with various uh, things and uh, ultimately set up a fund for these 5,600 employees as a crisis fund for when things unexpected come into their worlds, into their lives. And so uh, we look at that, and there's something in us that goes, ah, good job. We, we see somebody exalted who acts as if they aren't, and we're drawn to that. This passage of Scripture takes the exalted Christ, and if we understand it correctly, by the end of the passage, we are seeing Christ in a way uh, that is akin to how we might see one of these CEOs as, Christ, how could you, be in this, do this? How could you, being in this place, act like this? Uh, Christ, how could you, be, being so high, become so low? And so in doing so, we discover just spelled out in this, uh, these uh, verses uh, three characteristics of Christ. And they begin very high. He is the creator. Jesus is the creator. His characteristic, number one, he is the image of the invisible God. 
is what Paul says in Colossians. Jesus himself said in Acts 14.9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so being the image of the invisible God, this word image is where we get our word icon. It is the word in Greek is icon. It is where we get that word. So he's not here in this service, but in the early service, I picked, up, I picked on the guy who normally plays the guitar over there. Chris, who does all of our publications, just randomly chooses what's going to be on the front of the bulletin. And a couple weeks ago, it was Ben. All right, so Ben's picture was there. Ben had no idea. He shows up, his picture is everywhere, and everybody who knows Ben knows he hates stuff like that, despises it. Well, uh, it didn't go well for Ben that week uh, because that morning people stormed the stage asking for his autograph. His wife went on Facebook and said, so proud of my husband, and uh, he made the front of the bulletin, and, and then Ben uh, uh, manages a doctor's office, a uh, uh, nurse manager. Well, uh, his doctor, who uh, comes to grace as well, got all the extra copies of the bulletin, handed them out at work. It was terrible and great all at once, right? And so now I'm bringing Ben back. Um, and so when you look at that picture now, if I ask you who that is, you'll say, well, that's Ben. But it really isn't Ben, but it really is. It's the icon or the image of Ben. What Paul is saying here is when you look at Jesus, Jesus isn't God the Father, but he's everything God the Father has. So when you look at Jesus, that's not Jesus. Jesus is not God the Father, but Jesus is everything God the Father has. So what should that say to us this morning? If you've ever wondered or worried about who God the Father is, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. If you've ever wondered how God the Father would react in a certain circumstance, how does Jesus react? What does Jesus do? Verse 16 says, For by him, Jesus All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things. The writer of Hebrews then touches on this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, which incidentally are the days you and I live in, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
And then John corroborates this in 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus did not, for the first time, come into existence at all. When he was born in that stable in Bethlehem, he has always been. And he is the creator. Now, I would say to you, this is why I'm convinced that Darwin's theory of macroevolution was not only an attempt to explain the origin, as he called it, of the species, but was also an attempt to undermine the very tenets of the faith. Why? Because if we lose the belief that God, an intelligent, loving creator, created everything, we lose our footing as human beings. Why? The origin of the creation is what gives it meaning. The origin of the creation is what gives it meaning. Let me illustrate. So my wife loves all things fall, Christmas, Easter, every single holiday, right? She loves holidays, right? And we're in the season. So this ends up at my house. Here it is. It says, hello, fall, right? Very nicely done. Uh, It's... um, it's really nice. It's something that you could go to Hobby Lobby and, and pay 50% off for, right? Hello, fall. Uh, this, until this morning, was hanging in our house as you come down the hallway. But when we look at this, we, we don't just think, wow, nice sign to hang in that kind of place in the hallway because Kelsey Kingsley made this for my wife. And uh, Kelsey is obviously good. She did that, made it, and attached a note to it and delivered it to our house. So every time we look at it, we don't think, hello, fall. We think, hello, Kelsey. Why? Because she made it. The origin of the creation is what gives it its meaning. If there is no intelligent creator and you are an accident, you simply happened, then when I look at you and you look at me, we view ourselves and one another as merely accidental, don't we? Thus, human life becomes quite debased in its meaning. This enables us to do abortions at will. This mindset enables us to view senior adults who are no longer able to contribute as we once viewed them when they could. This causes us to diminish life. Why? The origin of the creation is what gives it its value. Creation is a gift from a loving, overflowing God of abundance who needed nothing from us yet wanted to give us his best. Consider these facts I discovered this week about creation. The sun has a diameter of 864,000 miles. 
That's 100 times that of the earth. And could hold 1.3 million planets the size of the earth inside it. The star, Betelgeuse, has a diameter of 100 million miles. It takes sunlight traveling at 186,000 miles per second, about eight and a half minutes to reach the earth. Yet that same light would take more than four years to reach the nearest star to the sun. The Milky Way galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars, and astronomers estimate there are millions or even billions of galaxies. What they can see leads them to estimate the number of stars in the universe at 10 to the 25th degree. It's roughly equivalent to the number of grains of sand on all the beaches of the world. Jesus created what we can see. Not only did he create what we can see, we discover here that he created what we cannot see. Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians to address a very specific problem of what we call Gnosticism, the belief that you could, by knowledge, the more you know, the closer to God you would get. And as you know more, you climb through levels, and these levels must necessarily go through domains, through angels of all kinds, both evil and good. So when you read in this verse that he created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, what Paul is saying, and I don't know if you've ever thought of it, is that uh, Christ himself created Satan. Before Satan fell from, from, from heaven, Christ created him. Jesus created the demons uh, before they uh, fell from heaven as angels, Jesus created them. You say, Jerry, what ought that do to me? It ought to give you some sense of rest and peace that Jesus might just be in charge. He, he might just have all of this. He created it all. Secondly, Jesus is the sustainer. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. David Garland, in his commentary on Colossians, says this, No matter how far back our imagination may press, we can never reach a point of which we may not say with Arius, there was once when he was not. He has always been. Now, what does it mean to hold things together? The word literally means to cohere. But, but it isn't just glue, right? You can have a, a marvelous machine, but we don't give much credit to the screws of the machine, do we? You can have a marvelous creation, but we don't praise the nails or the glue that keeps the creation what it is. We just simply don't do that. So what does it mean then? Is it more than glue? Is it more than adhering? And it is. I'll quote Garland again. 
Christ is more than the force that preserves the orderly arrangement of the cosmos. He is its rationale. It's rhyme and reason. He is the system of the systems. He is the basic operating principle controlling existence. You might say Jesus is the hard drive. Uh, Jesus is the operating system of all of creation. You say, well then, if I'm to understand all of creation in that way, he's the hard drive, he's the operating system, then then how am I going to get at God's manifold purpose in creation? Go read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and follow Jesus. You say, what do you mean? Let me, I just did it for you a little bit this week. When he taught, he taught with authority. When he healed, he healed with compassion. When he calmed the storm, he did it with supremacy. When he cast out demons, he did it with power. When he forgave, he did it with grace. When the woman touched his garment who had the issue of blood, he called her daughter. When he rebuked the Pharisees, he did it with wisdom. When he healed on the Sabbath, he dominated the Sabbath. When he fed the 5,000, he did a lot with a little. When he hung on the cross, he forgave his executioners. And when he rose from the dead, he embraced denying disciples. That is our Christ. That is the glue that holds all of it together. That's Jesus. That is the rationale behind all of creation. That's the creator. He is the reason. Creation is what it is. H.C.G. Mool says he keeps the cosmos from becoming a chaos. He holds it all together. Do you know that's why this week when the shooting occurred... Everybody, believer and unbeliever alike, scrambles to figure out one thing. What is it? Why? Why would that guy do what he did? And without realizing it, everyone who does that testifies to Jesus Christ. Why? It's not the operating system. This is never how it was intended to be. And people don't realize it, but every time they do that, every time they ask the question, every newscast is asking, well, why? This is so inhumane. How could anybody do anything like that? What they don't know they're saying is that creation is not in this moment reflecting its creator. They just don't know they're saying it. They don't know that they're falling short of that. When in your family, arguments arise and they create division, the reason you struggle with that is because in your family unit at the moment, you know that creation isn't reflecting the creator, the operating system. You give testimony to Christ. Believe in family or unbelieving family, 
You give testimony to Christ. Every time you wonder that, every time you ask the question, you're saying there's some different operating system here. And that's what Paul is saying, that the operating system of all of creation, Jesus is the center. He's the glue. He's the sustainer. He is the moral compass. He is the ethical limit. He is it. It is Christ. And we still bear witness to that today, whether we like it or not. Our questions give rise to that. So if creation is a reflection of the creator, and if the creator then is the nucleus, is the DNA, if you will, if Christ is the operating system, then how can you and I be convinced on this side of all of it that he really does care? It's the third characteristic Paul lists. He's the reconciler. What does it mean to reconcile? It means to bring back to a former state of harmony. That's what it means to reconcile. There once was harmony. There isn't, so we want it back. Now, I told you my goal was for you to have a high view of Christ. My second goal or secondary goal is for you to begin to see church in a way that I'm afraid many in our country and culture today have not. So if Jesus is the reconciler, the question is how? And the answer is you. He is reconciling the world to himself through the church. There is no plan B. There's there's no plan to send angels just in case we don't get the job done. He plans to do it through the church through you and me, through the church collective all over the world, he plans to reconcile the world to himself. This is what I love about missions. Why do we go for this? We're reconciling, right? So so we're going to head off to uh, Africa in January. We've got a trip planned uh, in next month uh, to Houston. And then in December, another trip is planned to Houston. Why? We're ministers of reconciliation. That's why we go. That's what we do. And so we've got a crew. We're already meeting during our planning. We'll head to, uh, to Africa, to this church with whom we partner out in the bush. I've described them before to you. I received an email this week, one of the funniest emails I've ever received in my life from the pastor. The pastor in Africa, he sends me an email. I get it on Wednesday. Our team is getting ready to meet on Wednesday to plan. And his email goes like this. He he talks a little bit of pleasantries. And then he says, uh, in his his way of doing English, which I'm so proud of him for knowing English, because I certainly don't know all the other three languages he can speak in addition to English. And he said this. He said, bugs are very bad right now. I'm not really sure why, but they are everywhere. They are in our bedrooms. They are in our bathrooms. They are in our living rooms. He said, when we sit down to eat, we have to open eyes widely. Otherwise, we eat bugs. (laughs) And I'm thinking, is he sending that? Is this like, welcome to Africa? Like, what are you doing? You know, I went and presented it to the team. And one of the team members says, I think I may be out. (laughs) And then this was the best part. He said, I had a sheep, it got very sick, 
I gave it a bottle of Coca-Cola. It very fine now. It healed. <laughs> who knew? Like, who knew? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola heals sheep. Very sick sheep. Like, who knew? That's what he said. Very fine now. It healed. There you go. But that's what God does, right? He reconciles the world to himself. He sends us into those places, not as people with answers, but as the church who is reconciling. We're ministers of reconciliation. It's the church. Do you remember when Paul, his name was Saul then, he was on the road to Damascus with death warrant in hand for Christians. And Jesus showed up to him. Now, Little quiz, pay attention, don't answer too quickly. Did he say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? No. What did he say? I'll let you fill in the blank. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul hadn't put a finger on Jesus, had he? But yes, he had the church. Why? That's what Paul says here. He is the head of the church. Well, this gives us definition then. All right, so there's a parallel here. If I believe that the creation reflects the creator, then the parallel in this passage is that the church reflects the who? The head. Does that make sense? So if Jesus is the glue of creation... What Paul is setting up beautifully here is that he is also the DNA, the operating system of the church. Do you follow? So perhaps it's better then to understand what church is not, and then we can get at what it is. The church is not a political action group. No. The church is not a social activist organization. We're not that either. The church is not a country club. Not at all. The church is not a family reunion. It isn't that. The church is not an institution. And the church is definitely not buildings and an address. The church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. You, if you have been born again, are the body of Christ. So the church isn't responsible for who gets elected. The church isn't held accountable for solving all the social ills of the day. The church doesn't exist to meet all the needs of its members. (gasps) I really said that. The church doesn't exist to meet all the needs of its members. That's what country clubs do. Pay your dues, get your uh, tea time on the course, and uh, get your meal and your reservation, and sit in your assigned seat, and God forbid anybody sit in your space, or park where you park, or do what you think You ought to be able to do in the church because it belongs to you. No, the church doesn't exist as a country club to meet all the needs of its members. The church doesn't exist to expand one particular family tree. No, the church isn't intended to be an icon in the community. 
As a matter of fact, if we're never considered foolish, if we're never considered fools for Christ's sake, if somebody somewhere, somehow doesn't look at us and go, I can't believe they're doing that. They're idiots over there at that place, right? I cannot believe that that's how they operate. Then we probably aren't being the church. That's the point. If we're here to avoid embarrassment, we're about to get to a place in this text where it's completely inevitable. Embarrassment is inevitable. The church is the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says in another place, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. How many of you say amen? Uh, I was old, uh, rotten sinner, and I'm a new creation in Christ. Uh, The old has passed away. And we say to that, thank you, Jesus. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the what class? The ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us The message of reconciliation. Do you know how to summarize that sentence? God loves sinners. God loves sinners. He is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let me step aside here for a moment and implore you. If you have come in here this morning, and perhaps this is all new to you, and you think, who is that idiot yelling on the stage? Looking like a fool. I want to say to you this morning that I'm delighted to be a fool for Christ's sake. I am. I am. You may not realize this, but once a month I listen to myself for evaluative purposes. And I cringe sometimes. Oh, Jerry, did you have to get that carried away? Did you, did you have to get into it like that? It, the, the team that records me in the early service said, we're going to have to put tape down. Like you marched last week across the stage. What were you doing? Why? I implore you as someone not called by God to preach, but saved from the depths of my sin to be reconciled to God through his son, Jesus Christ. I will say to you, he has done for me what no amount of education in my case could do. And he has done for me what no amount of recognition could ever do. He saved me from sin. He saved me for a life that I love and that I enjoy. And if you do not know him today, do not leave this place lost. Do not leave this place apart from him. Do not leave this place still in your sin. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The church, we're we're defined by 
the head of the church by Christ. Back to Colossians verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, if you're thinking, that presents a problem. Jerry, haven't you been preaching that Christ is preeminent? Why does Paul say here that in everything he might be preeminent? As if he isn't. It's a great question. Paul, you started off high. And now all of a sudden it seems there's a dent in your Christology. Well, I want to quote N.T. Wright because he says it better than I ever could. What Christ had by natural right, he had not yet exercised. The puzzle is caused by sin, though always Lord by right. He must become Lord, in fact, by defeating sin and death. All right. We just sang a song. The resurrected king is resurrecting now me. What do we mean by that? It's this right here. When Paul wrote that in everything he might be preeminent, Who was Paul talking about? The Colossian believers. The preeminence of Christ is seen in the alcoholic who no longer is. The preeminence of Christ is seen in the workaholic who comes home to love his his wife and kids. The preeminence of Christ is seen in the drug addict who, who throws the drugs away. And the resurrecting that goes on today, we live in the age of resurrection where God is in the business of raising up dead people to life. That's the time in which we live right now. The resurrected king is resurrecting you and resurrecting you and resurrecting you. And we could go around the room today and tell story after story after story after story after story as I was here, but now I'm here. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was hopeless, and now I have hope. I was helpless, and now I have help. Why? Because the resurrected king is resurrecting people still today. Amen? He is. Yes. How does he do it? Through the church, through his people. There is no plan B. So did how he how did he begin this work of reconciliation, resurrecting? If ever a passage of scripture went from a high point to the lowest of possible points, this one's it. If we read this for all it's worth, it drops, the bottom drops out by verse 20. Say, what do you mean? Listen with me. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, etc., etc. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. David Garland again says, Colossians 1.20 brings the cosmic Christ down to earth where blood flows from a body strung up on a cross. Whoever would have thought the invisible God is visibly naked 
the Creator is crucified. The firstborn cries out for his father. The Creator of Satan appears to be losing to him. Why? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The highest became the lowest. The strongest became the weakest. The helper, helpless. It's unreal. It's unreal. So it is so fitting today that we celebrate this with the Lord's Supper.